And welcome on in to another Major League Baseball roundtable here on opening week for ClabesOnline.com. As always, all of our roundtables this week have been brought to you by Ryan Kelly, the Home Loan Expert. Find him online at thehomeloanexpert.com. I am Joe Roderick. Today, we are going over the St. Louis Cardinals. So we had the National League Central Roundtable, the American League Central Roundtable. Today, it's nothing but Cardinals as they get ready to start their shortened 2020 campaign later on this evening. With that being said, I bring in the co-host and the star of Klaibs Online. He is Mike Claiborne. And Klaibs, here we are. We didn't think we were going to get to opening day, but it's finally here. A 60-game schedule is upon us. We'll, we'll take what we can get, but you're absolutely right, Joe. It took four months for us to get to this day, but opening day is actually here. And I couldn't think of three better people to talk about Cardinal baseball than our esteemed guest today. Uh, we'll start off with a gentleman who's been in our market for a long, long time, over 25 years. He's at News Channel 5, and he's a great friend. He is Frank Cusimano. Frank, great to have you. Uh, another opening day for us here, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about that here in just a bit. The next gentleman, boy, I remember when he was a very good hockey writer, but he turned out to be an outstanding baseball writer as he covers the St. Louis Cardinals for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And uh, he is going to have his work cut out for him this year, like we all will when it comes to covering this team, let alone the sport of baseball. It's great to have Derek Gould on board. Derek, good to see you, sir. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Clebs. It's a pleasure. The next gentleman is a person who is my counterpart on the TV side for Fox Sports Midwest. We have more fun talking about boxing and kids and everything else than we do about anything else concerning baseball. He's a great friend, and you can hear him. The cat will be back on 590 The Fan, and if you can't wait to see him in, you'll tune in and see him on Fox Sports Midwest as he is the outstanding sideline reporter and everything else Fox Sports can have him do. He is the cat. He is Jim Hayes. Cat, great to have you, buddy. It's nice to see uh, you, Claves, and everybody else, and I will be sideline reporting from the studio uh, for the home opener, social distancing. No couch, no couch action, huh? No, oh, this is my road trips. This is my home studio, uh, complete with a backdrop. Uh, ah. But I'll, I'll be at the I'll be at the uh, at the Channel Nine Studios for the home opener as we spread out our town. A lot of people involved in the broadcast, but guys, I'm I'm really looking forward to baseball. It was fun watching the exhibition game. Now we're going to get to do it for real. All right, let's talk about being for real, gentlemen. You guys have had a chance to watch this team from the opening of spring training in Jupiter to the end of spring training in Jupiter, to the resurgence in July, and here we are the day of opening day. Give me the biggest impression you have, and we'll start with you, Frank, about this ball club from when you first saw them in spring training to when you saw them yesterday against the uh, Kansas City Royals, or should I say Wednesday against the Kansas City Royals. Well, Mike, I remember when, um, when we were all growing up and we heard that axiom, pitching is 75% of the game or maybe even 90% of the game. I never bought that, but I think, you know, for the Cardinals to be successful, that theory or that axiom is going to have to be correct. And, you know, every time, even though they've been pretty hurt by a lot of devastating things that happen to the bullpen, I just think of that big five. And I think of this manager every night has a chance to trot out a really good starting pitcher. And I think, you know, the thing that's jumped out at me to, to, to directly answer your question is Carlos Martinez, the guy who went to them in October last year and said, I want to be a starter. 
and then came in great shape and had this, you know, championship kind of Adam Wainwright, Chris Carpenter mindset. And, you know, just watching him on Wednesday throwing so easy, so locked in, he he could really make this this season special, no doubt about it. Jerry, you've had a chance to watch this team for a while. Give me your thoughts on what you see and what you've had a chance to witness here recently. Well, I like the defense and I like the pitching an awful lot. And talking to some of the players who were uh, part of inter squad and, and other players around Major League Baseball, most most players feel like pitching is going to have the advantage in the early going in terms of guys being ready to go. Pitchers might be ahead of hitters. So if you're the Cardinals and you have that stack rotation, I think that's a, a big big advantage. But there's a number of guys I really look forward to to watching. Obviously, Flaherty in the opener. Paul DeYoung looks like his stroke is ready to go. This team has a lot of talent. I think the question is, will they have enough offense? But I think the undeniable answers to the Cardinal question, plenty of pitching and their defense is really good. That might be enough. Derek, you were with this team well before spring training opened. Uh, Mike Schilt's second spring training as the manager. What have you noticed from the end of Jupiter to where we are today? Yeah, it seems like they did a really good job of at least staying in tune with players, um, staying in touch with players and, and keeping things sort of on that plateau where they could get ready to go quickly without overexhausting themselves with an unknown target date. That was the thing that they talked a lot about there. Claves is like they didn't know when the game was going to start, so what were they working towards? And since they didn't know when the game was going to start and they didn't know when an opening date would be, they kind of just held – serve right so like jack flaherty throwing a live deep bullpen once a week one real intense and then having another side kind of that was less so or what adam wainwright and gung young kim did in st louis or you had colton wong and i know the cat just mentioned paul de young you know along with tommy edmund trying to get some live batting practice in or at least look at some live pitching over at slew so i think what those guys did and what, how the cardinals kept in touch with them and as Frank mentioned, you know, that's part of why Carlos Martinez got selected for the fifth starter spot was because of what he was able to continue doing during the stoppage, you know, sending Mike Maddox, a pitching coach, video of his workout, sending him video of his live BPs, keeping in touch with the manager, keeping in touch with Maddox and just talking about how he was going to be committed and maintain what he brought into spring through three months with an unknown destination. So I think I think there was a discipline there. And that's really what this is going to be a test of. As much as the Cardinals pitching is strong, their defense is reliable, and their offense is still an open question mark, the biggest thing is what is their discipline going to be to remain healthy? And what is the sports overall discipline going to be to get this season not just started but finished? Let's talk a little bit about that offense. This year we're going to see the designated hitter in the lineup for all 60 games. And you would think that it makes sense for Matt Carpenter to be that DH a majority of the time. But, Kat, do you see that just being a, a one-man, really a one-man job, or do you see that kind of rotating a lot this year? I think Carp will get a long look at uh, DH, but I think they're going to mix it up. They have guys that they actually want to see hit guys, outfielders that aren't going to be starting that could plug in there. And certainly with Carpenter as a DH, you get uh, Edmund at third base, which is a bit of a defensive upgrade. But I think – matchups will play into it. I think when guys need a break, who's hot, I think there are a lot of variables as to how the, the Cardinals will utilize the DH. And Derek, that kind of takes away, I mean, it takes away the pitcher hitting ninth, which allows a guy like Harrison Bader to be down in that spot, kind of a second leadoff man. Yeah, they've looked at like kind of stacking the speed, right? So you go with Colton Wong at the leadoff and then Tommy Edmond 
at second. Well, then the wraparound gives you Bader, Wong, and Edmund, and three guys who can, you know, be fleet of foot. And one of the things that Carpenter mentioned a lot was like, look, when the pitcher's on first and you're up and you hit a double, that guy's not going to score. And he, he was like, I don't mean to like speak ill of teammates, but a Lance Lynn or, you know, isn't going to score from first on that. A Colton Wong might or will. A uh, Harrison Bader will. Um, you know, so that was the example he gave of how it could change the dynamics of the offense. They're clearly tinkering out with kind of an American League style lineup. Um, they like the look of Matt Carpenter at number two. That would be kind of more NHNL tradition. Um, but they AL with the double wraparound speed at the top and building off of that. It, it comes down to, though, those guys have to get on base for their speed to work. I should have asked the other two this first before I ask you, Frank. Are you going to miss watching the uh, – Frank can't, uh, can't hear us, so we'll, uh, we'll work on that as, as we uh, – I cannot as, oh. hear Joe's question. I can hear everybody else. You're not missing much, Frank. <laughs> so so Joe hear- will ask us the question and we'll we'll relay it to you. Then. That sounds yeah, that sounds nice. good. Uh so Kat, Derek, are you guys gonna miss watching the pitcher hit? I'll be Frank, honest. You would like to know if you're gonna miss the pitcher hitting. <laughs> Frank, are you gonna miss-, miss watching the pitcher hit? Not at all. Especially uh what we saw in the postseason last year. Believe me, it'll be much more interesting watching Matt Carpenter take a ball the left field off the wall than watching Dakota Hudson swing and miss three times. I know there's strategy involved, but I'd much rather watch an, a great athlete who's been getting, you know, three to 400 to 500 at bats a year for the last six or seven years, try to hit 95 mile an hour pitching. than most of these pitchers just flailing away. I mean, as you all know, by the time you're like 16 years old, you are most likely in most cases, a PO, a pitcher only. So you don't take at bats. So then all of a sudden you get to the big leagues and you're in the National League and Dakota Hudson is supposed to hit 95 mile an hour hit pitching. I've had enough of the, the pitchers trying to hit. I'm I'm in favor of the DH. I'm, I'm surprised by that. I'm Frank, I'm surprised. I thought you were a purist. Look, I understand the arguments for the DH and it's hard to disagree with what you just laid out. But I do think the strategy is, is a big part of baseball and that's why I like National League style. I'm probably in the minority as time goes on, but I, I like the strategy and I'm going to miss seeing the decisions that have to be made building off of whether or not that pitcher is going to hit. Let me run this by you guys. Uh, you know, we, we've got the DH in play. Um, what, what are you, are you looking forward to watching the other things take place in IE? And, and here's the bigger issue. Let me back up. 60-game schedules are different from 162. We've been used to watching guys warm up. We've seen guys that are slow starters. We've seen guys that probably need a few more extra at-bats. We don't have that kind of time this year. So if you're a manager, how long is your leash on players who have been traditional slow starters, be it Goldschmidt, be it Carpenter, be it Fowler, uh, three guys who have not gotten off to ideal starts? How long is that leash this year? Well, if each game counts as 2.7, so almost three games, if you have a bad like first week, that's like having a bad almost like 18 games or close to it. I think that, you know, with Goldschmidt, you're going to give him the biggest leash. But with a guy like Carpenter, where you have Edmund to replace him, um, you may make that move kind of quick. Or a guy like Fowler, we have Lane Thomas, you may make that move pretty quick. So, yeah, as great a people person as Mike Schilt is, uh, 
you know, being the most popular guy in the in the clubhouse should not be his first priority. And I don't think it will be with Mike Schilt. Derek, what do you think? Because we saw Mike Schilt make a decision last year with uh, Tommy Edmond taking over at third base and Matt Carpenter was dealing with a couple of injuries. But after a while, Matt Carpenter didn't have a regular job. So how long is the leash this year? Yeah, I think people who probably know me from the chats know how I struggle with that. Um, the the you know I think it's it, like Frank said it's two point seven games, and so you have to kind of dial up your expectations at that point in time. I also think that like getting off to a hot start is important. Um, I I think that the 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 kind of bandwidth or let's say latitude the latitude for guys is going to be shorter because the season is shorter. But I also think it might be much shorter because you've got what 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 why wait for a guy to figure it out when you can just say, Hey, look, it's not here this year. It's just not happening. It's not here. Let's move on. Um, you know, after a week, the kind of galaxy opens up to them, right? Like they could go to Dylan Carlson pretty quickly and just go, Hey, look, it's, it's just not here for you this year. Let's let, it's a weird year. 2020 is just not it. Um, we appreciate you, you know, showing and we'll find a role for you, but let's move on. I, I think, I think you arrive sort of at like, you know, the example of Carpenter, right? I think you arrive at that moment where Edmund takes over a lot quicker this year. Um, not just because the the games matter so much, but because the season allows you to say this, Hey, it's an outlier. It's an anomaly. The season can be the excuse for doing it. Jim, um, you know, as we just touched on, you don't have a lot of time. Here's the one thing I've noticed. Mike Schilt has a lot more options, and the DH may give Matt Carpenter more opportunities compared to if he was just a regular third baseman and we had a pitcher back. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and you know, Mike Schilt once told me, if I didn't have relationships, meaning with his players, I wouldn't be here. Like, that's what he was known for. So even when he has to make a tough decision, there's a relationship in place. So I don't think there's any question that, he's not going to lose the team. Everyone knows what they're dealing with. This is a sprint. So he'll make the tough decisions. I, I, I'm Maybe I'm in the minority, but I have a feeling Matt Carpenter is going to be productive offensively. And something tells me, though he wouldn't ever admit to it, that if he got a lot of work at DH, that might actually help him just change it up a little bit. But I'm with you that the, the leash is short. It's going to be real short. You have a bad week and you have a giant hole to climb out of, so you can't just ride, guys. It's a whole different ballgame now. But, you know, the other thing on the back end of that, if you're a bench guy, you you may not have many kicks at the can either, so when you do get your chance, you better come out swinging. If not, you go back to the end of the line and start over again. I think there's even more pressure guys coming off the bench, and we've got a couple of new guys in Austin Dean and certainly Lane Thomas who are going to assume that role early. If there was ever time for a guy to be ready, that's going to be it. Throw in the fact that you don't have the pinch hitting situation like you normally would pinch hitting for the pitcher. Man, those at bats are going to be hard to come by. Anybody can jump in. Absolutely. On. No, I thought, absolutely. That was, I thought you were looking yeah. like as we're doing the Brady Bunch thing, I thought you were looking down at, at Derek's box. I just that's give acclamation. <laughs> no, it's Hollywood Squares. <laughs> We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Go ahead, okay. Joe. Take it away. No, you're, you're watching the Cardinals roundtable here on clavesonline.com. All of our roundtables presented by Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert. Also find him online at thehomeloanexpert.com. We will be back in just a bit with our panel of St. Louis Cardinal experts. Jimmy. 
What are you doing? Hey, Danny, I'm celebrating. Baseball's back and mortgage rates are in the twos. That means you have to go to Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. From early mornings to late nights, behind the scenes and on the front lines, your neighbors are busy creating a better tomorrow. And we're accelerating progress from upgrading natural gas mains in Quincy to expanding substation capacity in Mount Vernon, reliable power communities can depend on. Ameren, Illinois, energy at work. And welcome back into our Cardinal Roundtable here on ClavesOnline.com. Our roundtables all week long have been brought to you by Ryan Kelly, the Home Loan Expert. Find him online at the Home Loan Expert.com. Also, coverage here on ClavesOnline.com is powered by Ameren, Illinois, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura as we head back to our panel and Mike Claiborne. Thank you, Joe. Hey, guys, I want to run this question by you. You know, with the the 10th the inning rule where you have the runner at second, um, small ball may come back into play. Derek, I'll start off with you with this question. Are we at a point now from a, a recognition standpoint where maybe giving up yourself in order to advance a runner, should that be more prevalent? Should that be a stat that we should be paying more attention to? And, and we don't have to necessarily wait for the 10th inning. But I think we're going to see more teams have to have to have the ability to execute better compared to just sitting on a three-run homer unless you're the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, I yeah, I think uh, I think that probably good all the time. You know, you kind of measure the game in ninety feet, right? The ninety feet you don't give up, the ninety feet you take, um, and moving in runner um, over is ninety feet that you gave that runner, so you kind of get credit for it. I, I you know, I, I think that. You know, some teams, I, I really, I'm eager to see what, where kind of run creation and run prevention meet each other in this 60 game stretch. Um, you know, we're going to see the Cardinals try to goose their offense quite a bit. Well, you know, that, that, that is the unknown for this team. Paul DeYoung, um, you know, it seems locked in and ready to go at cleanup. Cold Wong has really quietly taken over the leadoff spot and not left any question that he belongs there. And Matt Carpenter looks like a different hitter. But how is the lower part of that lineup going to work out? How is that lower part of the lineup going to generate runs? How are they going to turn a guy on base with nobody out, um, you know, a guy at second with nobody out into a run versus, you know, snapping their finger and go, shucks, and we, we went for the crooked number and it wasn't going to work out. I think, you know, leads are going to be very valuable because, as Frank said earlier, with the 2.7 game, you know, every game worth 2.7, imagine what a run is worth then. I mean, you can do the math on it what one run is worth or what a lead is worth, you know, a lead that you blow is worth three games, you know, down um, that this is going to be a season where there's very little margin for air. And so the generation of runs and execution in situations it could be a separator. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really interesting, Mike, about who the hitter is. I mean, I was talking to Paul DeYoung about this on a zoom recently. And he said, look, if we have a runner on second and Paul Goldschmidt's coming to the plate, He's not laying down a bunt. Goldschmidt won't. But let's just say you have a Harrison Bader who may not be swinging the bat well, and there's a runner on second to start the 10th inning. Harrison, you are laying down a bunt for the top of the order, and Colton Wong, you hit a sack fly, and you win the game. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that works. But, you know, with the big bats like DeYoung, 
like with Goldschmidt and, and maybe if Matt Carpenter is back, I think you're going to let them hit away. And I, I tell you what, if you're a team that doesn't have huge offensive production like the Cardinals, it doesn't mean you get into that formula where guy on first, you bunt him over, but you better have the bunt in your arsenal. And a, a team that has speed like the Cardinals, like if you have a Bader and Edmund Wong, I love seeing plays like that because you know what happens? Those that, that puts so much pressure on the defense. Next thing you know, they're throwing the ball around, and next thing you know, runs are coming in. So it better be part of the plan. You know, we were talking about the uh, Cardinal, the Cardinals being offensively challenged. I guess it was 19th last year in runs scored. Um, who I think is the single difference maker, or who could be the key to the season, is Tyler O'Neill. Uh, I believe that. You, you kind of know what you're going to get out of many of the people in the lineup, not everybody, but if O'Neill becomes this dynamic offensive player, like he was for like 10 days last year, then all of a sudden the look of your offense changes. But if he doesn't, then you have an, I mean, Derek, I know you've been covering this longer and harder and better than anybody else. Can you ever remember a team that would trot out their outfield hitting seventh, eighth and ninth? No, that's not ideal. I mean, you want thunder from the corners and range and, you know, different ways to win from the center. So, um, you know, the, the, I have not. And I think that's very interesting. The Cardinals offense was a real drag on them last year in so many ways. And yet a lot of that production or a lot of the, those at-bats still went to the same guys over and over and over again. Uh, you know, you think to Marcelo Zuno, who was the cleanup hitter, he, he had a deed on that spot in the, road, in the lineup as long as he was here. Um, more than 200 plate appearances, a cleanup hitter than anybody else over the past two years. And he just was never out of it. Um, you know, getting somebody from the outfield who can produce like an outfielder, meaning 800 to 850 OPS, would be huge. Um, they think they can do it by committee. You know, there's a lot of arguments that they have a young guy ready to do that, uh, a certain switch hitter who's, you know, a name we all know at this point in time. It's just a matter of when he gets to play. Um, you know, but that has to come from somewhere out there. They need that group to either as committee or as an individual to be more reliable. And I would add that, like, look, this this offense, one of the things that is key is you look at how many opportunities last year Paul Goldschmidt had to drive in runs, and it was paltry. I mean, it just was inexcusable that they had a hitter like him who could go out and win the July player of the year, or player of the month, excuse me, the July Player of the Month award, the the month that Azuna missed, the month in which Goldsmith batted cleanup, but part of that was because he had three chances at somebody being on base ahead of him instead of two, and there just was not much production from leadoff. There was less production from the number two spot for a long time. There, you want to get this offense going, you got to have Paul Goldsmith be a factor, um, and not have him just putting himself on base for somebody else to drive in, but actually getting a chance to be the reason why there's a crooked number. Derek, so, Derek, well, you know, the, the Cardinals believe Tyler O'Neill can have the type of production that Ozuna had in terms of, and because I think most of us kind of get the picture. They look at him and Lane Thomas, they're like, well, we need to see what these guys can do. I'm not talking about Dylan Carlson, who has so much upside, but the Cardinals have people in house that really project Tyler O'Neill to be a productive outfielder. And I don't think Cardinal fans know that that that's really the cardinal believe the cardinals folks inside the office believe that tyler o'neill can be that guy right yeah i mean they yeah they do i mean they point to his triple a production right they say look this is a guy who 
has been a power, you know, masher in AAA. And at some point in time, you have to figure out whether that's going to translate. Um, you know, the Cardinals have had their share of guys who they have squeezed out to get other guys playing time. You think about like Tommy Pham, who's with the Padres, right? Or Oscar Mercado, who's the center fielder for Cleveland. Um, these are guys who they ran into kind of roster binds with and they moved on from. Tyler O'Neill, they acquired in exchange for Marco Gonzalez. And Marco Gonzalez is, you know, one of the better starters for Seattle, a guy who, you know, you go, okay, well, he's definitely in the rotation. Um, and the Cardinals have not had Tyler O'Neill become that regular. And they, they want to give that a chance for, you know, to prove that they were right with the trade or to prove that they aren't going to move on from a guy who then goes has success elsewhere, all those reasons. Um, you know, Lane Thomas also has his fair share of fans. Lane Thomas does a lot of things that can win ball games. Um, you know, he's got a lively bat. He's very fast. He, he's not the center fielder that Bader is, but he's pretty close. He's got good instincts out there. Might be, you know, a stride behind, but, you know, makes up that gap by, you know, just the instincts he plays with out there. So I think, you know, they, they each have their fans um, in, within the organization. Those fans root, you know, for them because of where they are in the roster. Uh, you know, as I talked to John Mozeliak the other day, he said their opportunity is now, and the question facing them is when does the opportunity run out? The question faces Dylan Carlson is when does he get a chance at his opportunity? So as you look at all these question marks that are there with the team, whether it be the lineup or maybe in the bullpen, what do you think is the biggest challenge for Mike Schilt this year when it comes to managing the club? Kat, start with you. Uh, I mean, it, it has to be offense. I, I know – People are down uh, a little bit on the bullpen because they've lost some pieces. I think the bullpen is going to be fine. Uh, I, I actually like KK closing just based on the fact that uh, hitters haven't seen him, and that gives him an advantage. I think they have enough arms. They, they have to get an offense consistently because once the bats come around, around the rest of baseball, that's going to put some pressure on not only the Cardinals starters, but uh, the Cardinals in general to get some offense and he's got to figure out the right mix and the right batting order to get the offense going because that has been a real stumbling block for this team. Derek? I'm sorry. You faded out there, Roderick. Sorry. Oh, no, I was asking your thoughts on, on what Mike Schultz's biggest challenge is going to be this oh, year. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I didn't hear the name in there. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's a great question. Um, I, I think it's going to be what we talked about earlier is like how – long is too long. I mean, it's basically his biggest challenge is being Goldilocks of managers, right? Is, is it's like how long is too long and how short is just right. And how short is too short. He's got to find that happy medium. He's got to, he's got to play Goldilocks with the, with the lineup. And it's really tricky because the margin for error is very slim and the personalities involved. We all know, and the contracts involved are a factor so I think I think he I think that's a real tricky thing for him to you know to to go there and say okay well this porridge is too hot this porridge is too cold this porridge is just right and decide which one is just right. In terms of Mike Schilt's biggest challenge from my end is is to find a way to generate some offense from the outfield. As I mentioned, I think that Tyler O'Neill has the best chance and could completely change the complex the complexion of the offense, but it can't just be one outfielder with an 800 OPS. You know, you got to remember a few years ago, Dexter Fowler was an 851 OPS. You know, last year, even though he hit 238, he had 19 uh -huh. home runs. He's been a good offensive player 
So find a way to get Dexter going. And then in center field, if it's not Bader, then Lane Thomas. And if it's not Lane Thomas, then it's Dylan Carlson. But I don't think you can win a division with an unproductive outfield. I mean, last year, they had Marcelo Zuno, who's a really productive outfielder. At least two of these guys are going to have to hit. You know, you, you touched on Bader for a second. Let me get on him for a second. I've watched him have better at-bats um, since he's been in St. Louis. Uh, going the opposite way, or at least going to right center, Derek, which is something we never saw him do. So is he coming up late on pitches, or is it something he's actually trying to do? I mean, he, he pinned a guy to the wall on Wednesday with a ball to right center field. If he can find that gap, we may have something going here compared to him just trying to jerk everything out of the ballpark. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's the, been really the message is, you know, expand the game, expand the spectrum of where you are as a hitter. You know, know that, you know, it's sort of what like Colton Wong went to, right? Like Colton Wong went through that area where he was trying to find his identity as a hitter. And there were times where he would get big and try to hit home runs and then have to kind of reset or find his timing. And I think, I think you see that same thing going on. It's not unusual. Uh, it's pretty rare when a uh, uh, hitter, well, I don't know of guys who, very few guys have arrived as a hitter complete, right? Like the hitter that they're, they've come defined as a hitter. They have to learn who they are as a hitter, um, especially at the top level against elite pitching. And I think we see some of that going on. Um, not unusual, but the, the clock's ticking in that way. You know, what Vader, like- Vader told me that it was it was simply a guy who was used to hitting not hitting, and then trying to process all the information. Not the first guy to say that there was a lot of stuff dancing around in his head that really, in a sense, froze him at the plate. So he's trying basically to go back to basics, see the ball, hit it where it's pitched. And I, I do think we see a little bit difference as, as a hitter from him. Sorry, Clint. And yeah. I, I want to say this too about uh, Harrison. And Mike, you know probably better than any of us in this group. Um, you have to remember that a couple of years ago in limited at-bats, the guy had 20 doubles and 12 home runs. And if you look at his minor league career, he had good offensive numbers. He's also a real bright guy. And when you're humbled to the average of 205 or so, and you have an entire offseason to think about this, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he gets this thing figured out. I want to run this by you guys. Um you know, this this season will be a memorable one for so many reasons, obviously. But the most recent issue that's come into play is the Black Lives Matter movement that players and Major League Baseball have kind of come together on. Jack Flaherty has been probably more outspoken than anyone else with the Cardinals. How do you think that's going to impact things? And how do you feel the way Mike Schilt and obviously the Cardinal organization have been able to try and find some middle ground where they can come together on this? And, and also, what do you think if there were fans in the ballpark and how this whole thing would be perceived? That's a, that's a, that last part of there is a really great question, Claves, is like, what would it be like with a full ballpark? Um, I hope it would be the same. Um, but right now, by having it on TV, you're right, there's a captive audience. And, and, and I think that's actually part of this is they're, they're, they're tuning in, there's a captive audience, and they want to make sure that there's an awareness. You're going to hear that message quite a bit. I know the words that the Cardinals use were unity, everything like that, but also an acknowledgement, an awareness. Um, I think, you know, some of the stuff that Jack Flaherty has said, and you've also heard this from other players, is this notion that baseball arriving is not a chance to sigh and go, okay, we got through that. 
Baseball's back. Break out the apple pie and the beers and the hot dogs and let's have our distraction. No, you know, the, 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 the conversation is still at the table. Um, the conversation is still sitting there. It's still sitting beside you watching the ball game. And with some of the, the things that players have planned and some of the things that teams are willing to do and some of the things that Major League Baseball has agreed, it's going to be staring the fans in the face that the conversation isn't over. They don't have answers. I think we heard that from Schilt. We heard that from Flaherty. And again, we've heard that from other players. They don't have an answer, but they know that if you don't open the ears and allow for a communication or conversation to continue, you'll never arrive at an answer. And that's what they're trying to do is, is the message is about forwarding the conversation and not having baseball stand in as some distraction, some kind of entertainment to, to move you away from a necessary conversation. And I think if you listen to Jack Flaherty's comments closely, like I did Mike on Claves online, when you had your interview with him, um, the guy is, is speaking sense. You, you have to listen to some of the things he says and not just take this rhetoric, oh, he's on this side, I'm on that side. If you listen to what he has to say, a lot of it makes sense. But with all of that said, is if you're the best pitcher on inarguably the best baseball city in the country and you take a stand where maybe 50% of the population is against it, then your popularity is going to drop dramatically. And I think we got to be realistic here. In fact, uh, on Charlie Brennan's show this morning, almost every caller was anti-Jack Flaherty comments. On our text lines on the press box on 590 The Fan, I'd say 70% was anti-Jack Flaherty. And again, most popular player on this beloved franchise. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how he's perceived moving forward. You know, you know what, though, I, I, can I just say something real quick about that, though? That's a little bit of the letter to the editor, like sampling, right? Like people are moved to comment only when they're angry about something. If they're in support of it, they're content. They're not going to say much. And I, I think that's actually something that baseball players are trying to draw out is like, look, there is a group of people who are not being vocal in their support of this. Time to do so before all the negative commentary drowns people out. I mean, the same thing is happening on the stories we write about this or the tweets we have about this. I've had buzzwords thrown at me so much in the past week that people don't know what they mean. And it's like, okay, where are the people who are going to be vocal in support of this? Because at some point in time, they do need to get out of the way of the letter to the editor phenomenon where anger drives people to comment. Let's support drive people to comment. And I think we're seeing that more and more, or we should see that more and more. You know, you know Sorry, who's... Kat. You know who's very aware that uh, that the comments might be taken well by some parts of Cardinal Nation, Jack Flaherty, and and Jack could sit back and say nothing about it, but he feels this strongly about it. He feels it's it, what he's saying is what people need to hear, and I got to respect that. And if, if all he's asking you is to respect him and listen to him, who better to say that than a young, smart guy like Jack Flaherty, who's saying, please consider what I'm saying. So I give Jack Flaherty a lot of respect for putting himself out there. He's aware that there is a downside to that. We will take one final break here on the Cardinals roundtable on Klaibs Online and ClaibsOnline.com presented by Ryan Kelly, the Home Loan Experts. Find him online at thehomeloanexpert.com. We will be back in just a bit with more from Frank Cusimano, Jim Hayes, and Derek Gould. Jim. What are you doing? 
Hey, Danny, I'm celebrating. Baseball's back and mortgage rates are in the twos. That means you have to go to Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. From early mornings to late nights, behind the scenes and on the front lines, your neighbors are busy creating a better tomorrow. And we're accelerating progress from upgrading natural gas mains in Quincy to expanding substation capacity in Mount Vernon, reliable power communities can depend on. Ameren, Illinois, energy at work. And welcome back. Final segment of our Cardinal Roundtable here on ClabesOnline.com presented by Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert. Find him online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Also content on Claves Online is powered by Ameren, Illinois, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura as we welcome back in our Cardinals panel and Mike Claiborne. Thank you, Joe. All right, fellas, the roster was submitted yesterday. I'm not sure if there was a big surprise, so I'll go around the horn and ask you, how will this roster look in two weeks? And also for you, Derek, uh, the players who didn't make the roster, what's their status and how are they going to stay sharp if, if called upon? So the guys who didn't make the roster will go to, well, they're either injured or they're going to be assigned to the alternate site. Most of them will go to the alternate site there in Springfield, Missouri at the Cardinals AA affiliate where they're going to continue doing a lot of what we saw um, during quote unquote summer camp at Bush, which is inner squad. Now, some of it's going to look like instructs in the sense that there will be some individual work, there'll be some skills days, things like that, but they're going to continue to do some games um, there. So they have the competition or some modified games, sim games like that. That's also part of what their plan is with Brad Miller is to go there and get him sharp, get him some game action because he missed so much of summer camp. Um, but the guys like, but there'll be, there'll be as much instruction there as there will be trying to keep guys ready. So like, a, like say a Mason Wynn who was recently, drafted by the Cardinals or Jordan Walker, they go to Springfield with a little bit different, no, a, a lot bit different mission than say a Dylan Carlson goes to Springfield or a, uh, you know, some of the younger guys who are, who are going to, um, you know, or some of the guys, I guess, from this camp that are going down there to Springfield. As far as surprises or as far as like what it'll look like in two weeks, I think, you know, I mean, it, it, it'll be interesting to watch Alex Reyes, uh, Yenesis Cabrera, they hope to have back. They hope to add him. Um, as soon as he's ready, um, what Alex Reyes shows in live action and what he's able to do against hitters there, he could zoom up pretty quickly. Um, and then, of course, the question is Dylan Carlson. You know, they, they, they need him to maintain a year of control. They, they just have to have him on the big league team less than 61 days. And so that's a grand total of five games without him. Um, is that how much time Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas or Harrison Bader has to prove themselves? Probably not, but you know the question is how how loud does Dylan Carlson become because there's not there's not a Triple A season for him to play, so he's going to have to you know produce and do it in a non traditional setting to force his way up. Jim, I I, I got to tell you that at, because we don't know how the season's going to go and with constant testing, what you see today might be totally different in in two weeks. I know that there's some guys I'm really looking forward to seeing. One of them is Austin Gomber, who could play a big role in of some sort based on the way the season plays out. And you guys mentioned Reyes. I hope we get a look at him because 
he's not too far removed. And I know he's had a couple of huge medical setbacks, but there was a time where he came up and looked to me as dominant as any young pitcher I had seen. And he's worked so hard to get back to this place. I'm rooting for him. Those are a couple of guys I'm watching. Frank, what are your thoughts? Mike, I'm really looking Mike, I'm looking forward to seeing Alex Reyes. Um, if he's about as humble of a player as, as I've been around in a while. He has so much ability, and he's just been through hell for the last couple of years. I still think he's got great stuff. I want to see his humility and his talent all come together and play a big role on this team, not only this season, but for a long time. You know, yesterday, I really felt good just watching Trevor Rosenthal out there throwing, you know, pain-free and 97 miles an hour. And we all know the torture this guy's been through. And I hope a, a similar type of uh, comeback for Alex Reyes this season for the Cardinals. You know, tonight is the home opener for the Cardinals, and it's going to have a little bit of a different feel. I think among the four of you, there's, what, a combined 50 home openers that you guys have all uh, covered. What is something that you are really going to miss tonight with the uh, the way the game is going to go, Derek? I think uh, the 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 red coat ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know people like the parades and, uh, Clydesdales and stuff, but I like the fact that they uh, they bring out their red coats. With you said, how many home openers we have? More than fifty. I mean, how many World Series rings does that group have? Um, you know, and they get to kind of in in recent years they put the Hall of Fame trophies out there for them to gather around. I, I think that's such a strong image um, and such a strong moment. And I and I also like to watch the interaction between the 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 Cardinal Hall of Famers, the red coats, and the uh, the other, and whether it be players or anything like that. You guys recall one of my favorite things from last year was remember Ted Simmons got Mike Schilt right there after the ceremony and just talked to him. And it was like, okay, Schilt's got to get ready for his first home opener as manager. And Simmons, you know, the longtime scout and great player, great catcher, you know, and, and scout for an opposing team and everything like that. But he wanted to have this conversation with Schilt, and here was his chance. He was on the field with them. Wanted to talk to him face-to-face, give him some compliments, say some things that stayed between the two of them. And we got to watch that moment, and I, I, I really like that. I like the, how the current players react to the Redcoats as they shake hands, all, all that stuff, the smiles, the grins. The like to hear some of the jokes that are told, all that stuff. I, I've covered home openers for other teams, and, and people in St. Louis know this, and it's true. It's unlike other teams' home openers, so I'm going to miss all of it. The Hall of Famers, the Cardinal Hall of Famers, the uh, the Clydesdales, but the the thing I'm going to miss the most, and and it might sound self-serving, but I'm going to miss the fans. You know, Cardinal fans are great, and just when I'm doing hits around the ballpark, getting to meet some of them, talk to them, say hi to their kids, uh, there's going to be something missing. The fans, make no mistake, are a huge part of baseball, and their presence will be missed. Cat, I, believe Cardinal Na- I was going to say Cardinal Nation is still open, right? They're selling yeah, seats there. You can, definitely be the, you uh, can the go there and do interviews, Cat. You know, as a guy who grew up, you know, watching Lou Brock and Bob Gibson and to see, you know, Lou, you know, walk across and get that ovation and everybody yelling Lou and the whole, you know, the, the joining of all these different generations, you know, from the 60s to the 70s to Ozzie Smith in the 80s and and Bruce Souter. And I was really looking forward to this year seeing Tommy Herr and John Tudor and their red sport coats. So yeah, there's nothing better than seeing all those hall of famers, 
you know, with maybe five or six generations or decades represented, it's it's insanely beautiful to watch. I, I would agree with you, Frank. That That's the one thing I look forward to also. And I think I look forward to it even more this year because, you know, with each year that passes, there's a chance that one of those guys won't be here because they're all starting to get up in age. And, and let's just hope they're all together next year with a new, new addition from the Cardinals Hall of Fame as well. All right, final question for you guys. Well, we've covered a lot of bases, but we haven't talked about the opponents. So I've got two questions. Who in the National League Central do you think is going to be a team everybody needs to pay attention to? And what team in the American League Central are you looking forward to seeing? I'll start off with you, Jim. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I still fear the Cubs a little bit. I think everyone assumes that their time is done. I don't think I, I still think they're a, a very dangerous team. And I'll say the team I'm looking forward to seeing is usually one uh, because I like Joel Goldberg. I, I think it's going to be intriguing seeing the Royals just because it'll be fun, as we saw in the exhibition game, having Mike Matheny back. And there are so many ties to the Cardinals that are now part of the Royals organization. Kind of will make that interesting for me. Frank? Uh, I'm going to go with kind of the Vogue pick, the uh, the Cincinnati Reds. I think they have enough starting pitching. They have, an, obviously, a dynamic offense. And I'm just, you know, their whole key is Joey Votto turning back the clock and being an effective offensive force again. If he is, that's a pretty good team on paper. In the American League, the team I'm anxious to seeing is the Minnesota Twins. I mean, if they hit 307 home runs, you know, we love the long ball. I want to see, you know, a lineup just stacked now with Josh Donaldson. That's going to be great against this Cardinal, you know, pitching staff next week. Derek? Well, I, I mean, I think the Reds are, are a team to watch in the Central. Um, the Cat, I'll, I'll, I, I'm not uh, – I wonder if the Cubs are more fragile than they're letting on, to be honest. I'm really eager to see what they do and how they approach the season. Now, they, they could get hot offensively and they could go gangbusters for a while. But I think the Reds had a real quiet, strong performance last year. And, you know, that's where they they have been really lacking for years now. They have a group of starters, Bauer, Gray, that kind of, you know, starters that add depth to it. And so I think, you know, you add that to the fact that they added Castellanos, they play in a small ballpark, Joey Votto bounce back. You know, a lot of things go, go right for the Reds. They got a good manager, David Bell, who we all know, um, I, I think they, they, they're a team that can get good fast and stay good for this season. Uh, the team I'm looking forward to seeing is the one that's going to walk out of the corn, the Chicago White Sox. Um, they have a young, talented center fielder that is going to send chills through Cardinal fans' spine for a long time, wondering what might have been. Um, that is a team that you mentioned, the Twins, that just hit a lot of home runs. Well, the, the team that's going to be the next Twins is the White Sox. That that's an athletic, impressive team. I, I talked to a friend who, who covers sports up there in Chicago. He had a great line. He said that the White Sox, and Frank, you'll appreciate this, the, the White Sox have a team that they look very impressive walking off a bus. You put them in line where you put off, you have the center walk off first, the power forward walk off next, and let everybody watch what kind of team is walking into their ballpark. I'm, <laughs> I'm real eager to see what that uh, what that White Sox team does and how, how you know, and Giolito's on there, who you guys know is Flaherty's friend. 
Um, I, I think they're sneaky good. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the White Sox, their physical composure. They're bigger than some of the Chicago Bears. I mean, they, 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 they – yeah. And I know we're not supposed to be fighting this year, but if one breaks out, heaven help the guys who want to start it, man, because yeah. they're a bunch of like they can handle themselves. I think the White Sox have four guys that the Bears have offered the quarterback position. I think that's right. <laughs> I, think, I think that's right. But they were all smart enough to turn it down. Hey, final question, 15 seconds for each one of you guys. How much has COVID and this whole transition going to change the way you cover this game? Jim? I'll start. It's 100%. I'm a sideline guy that will be doing some sideline from my guest bedroom <laughs> or a studio, and I think it's probably positive for the players because I'm not in the clubhouse bothering them every single day, but I'll miss it. Right. Yeah, for 27 years, I've been doing live shots in Bush Stadium. It's going to really feel weird. Um, I don't think I'm going to miss the time I've wasted in the Cardinal Clubhouse waiting for an interview, but still, you can get some good material in there. Derek, what about you? you you really going to have the, the balls juggling in the air this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I, uh, I was talking with somebody recently about this that, uh, you know, I, doing interviews is going to be a little bit different. I'm, I'm more of a conversational reporter than a transactional reporter. Um, and Zooms and interviews like this are very much transaction. Ask a question, get an answer. Ask a question, get an answer, move on. And, I, you know, I have to kind of adjust to that. And, I, um, you know, I still like to have some kind of back and forth, um, but I don't know how well that works in Zoom. And how to how, when they lose, how do you, you know, do you, do you stay on to force – the follow-up question when you don't get the right answer. I don't know how that works. I know how that works in person, and I know how somebody re responds when you're, they're challenged in person because it's a lot different than the um, gap here, than the anonymity that maybe this comes from. So I, I'm eager to see what kind of stories we're able to tell um, because the conversations are going to be lacking. And to that same end, I think it's going to be a real test of observational skills. So. Um, you know, and, and also my ability to, to drive the speed limit around the American League and National League Central. But um, I think just observing, you know, while we're there at the ballpark and what you can see that others cannot, how do you transport the fan or the reader there to that place? Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that challenge and telling the story um, of, you know, it's the, it's the old, it's, it's actually a great lesson in journalism. The show don't tell, man, this is going to be a season of covering what the show and not the tell. Well, I'm looking forward to reading your work. Jim, I always love what you do. And Frank, the way you cover baseball is going to be a lot of fun for us to watch. Gentlemen, I want to thank all of you guys. And Frank, I really want to thank you for giving us a tour of your house. It's feeling <laughs> in your house as you walk around through the house today. But more yeah. importantly, well, thank you guys hey, for being did you part hear of Monique, uh, did, you, did you hear Monique chopping up the garlic in the background? I looked at her like, come on, we got a show here. That's the case. We may swing by there for dinner if that's the case. Hey, fellas, thanks so much. Spaghetti uh, carbonara at 7 o'clock. Stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll have a fun way to uh, uh, write a new chapter on how we cover this game, and hopefully we'll be doing it well in October. Jim Hayes, Fox Sports Midwest, Derek Gould, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Frank Cusimano, News Channel 5 in St. Louis. Thank you again. Be safe. For Joe Roderick, I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for watching another edition of the Roundtable here on ClavesOnline.com.